All right. So we're back. And what we there with smart guns today. But first, we have Liz, who has $82 million. Uh, yes. So uh, this is a pretty interesting story. Um, it was about uh, four Russian hackers who actually were able to make eight, more than $82 million uh, from trading stocks based on informa uh, insider information that they stole um, from uh, two companies um, that uh, are used to serve public filings to the SEC. So basically these companies submit their um, financial reports to the SEC um, and they're released uh, like on a specific uh, date, you know, date and time. But um, these hackers, I, I just, I, I just think this is really ingenious. They actually hacked those companies in order to get access to the uh, reports, and so they would know ahead of time uh, what the financial performance was, and then be able to sort of beat it to beat everyone else to the punch um, at the stock exchange. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, a creative use of hacking. Yeah, and there's only like three companies that are used for this service. So um, according to this article anyway, there are only three companies that are used for this article. So, I mean, I can see how those would be really high value targets. Yeah, yeah. All right, and Caitlin's got a satellite pulling another. I do have an article about a satellite pulling another. Sorry about the delay, everyone. So the war zone. All right. The drive.com has an article written by Brett Tingley. That sounds like a fake name, but whatever. Sounds like Chuck Tingle. Yeah, Chuck Tingle. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so um, this article I picked because of two reasons. First, there's just a, the, the objective content, right? So China launched a, I guess, yeah, I, I, you call this satellite. Uh, they launched a satellite into geosynchronous orbit. They grabbed an old defunct geosynchronous satellite and moved it up into a graveyard orbit. So for people that are unfamiliar about, you know, what's going on here, why this is important, uh, geos the geosynchronous orbit is the, the space away from Earth where a satellite will orbit once every 24 hours. So that means it's always in the same spot in the sky because its orbit is the same uh, length as a day. And so a lot of people put their satellites in this orbit, but that orbit gets very crowded quickly, especially because uh, this orbit is uh, has to go only along the equator. You don't have any polar orbits or anything. That would make no sense from geostationary orbit. They ought to be along the equator and they're all sort of packed in. And so setting up a, a satellite that can grab a, another satellite in geostationary orbit um, and move it into a graveyard orbit so something else can replace it, that is awesome. That is great. That's fantastic. And, and we should be doing this more. Um, what's really interesting, though, is that this article paints it from a militaristic standpoint. They're saying, well, 
you know, this Chinese satellite just grappled another satellite and pulled it out of orbit. Well, they don't mention that the satellite it grappled is another Chinese satellite, which they totally had the right to do, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they sort of make it seem like, well, there's these all these military complications of being able to grab and move satellites around. I mean, supposedly, if you can grab a satellite, you can also grab it, throw it into like a capsule, bring it back home, you know, and examine it, which, okay, that's actually kind of, that's really cool, actually. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm always very wary when I see these articles in the news where they sort of paint up, you know, normal technological improvements or normal activities by other, you know, agencies and other countries as being, you know, associated with war and a threat because they're trying to make the case that we need to be protected, that we need a military and, and that, you know, if war breaks out, it's justified. And, and that's kind of scary to me. I, I really don't want to see the United States go to war with China. So I thought this was a cool article, um, not least because it contained the term space tug. And uh, I, I thought that that seems like a fairly valuable um, seems like a fairly valuable service to be able to do, especially uh, um, considering the space junk problem. Um, So it seems like we'd need to be able to kind of move and reposition other satellites, but I I could totally see both sides of this. Number one, I I definitely see what you mean. They, they, They really emphasized that it was, in the article, it definitely seemed like they emphasized that it was as China doing it and not, you know, hey, this could be an issue no matter who's got a a satellite that can manipulate other satellites. And it, you know, seems like just like any other technology where you could use it for good or evil. I mean, I, of course, when I saw this thought, ooh, how cool would it be to be able to hack the space tug and then knock your uh, competitor's satellite out of orbit or something? Is that a, uh, is that a possibility um, in the future that something that could happen? So already, it's possible to aim rockets at whatever satellite you want to hit and everything's tracked meticulously for obvious reasons. So you can, if you want to blow something out of the sky, do some bad stuff to your enemies, it's totally feasible. You don't need a a grappling rocket. (laughs) This is overkill. The only thing that this changes, I suppose, is like I said, you can grapple something, put into a capsule, you know, and send it back to earth to study it. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, is like if, if another country or if, like let's say France puts up a spy satellite. If we want to know its capabilities, we just take a quick photo of it. Uh, you can tell the exact resolution what what a spy uh, satellite is capable of capable of by looking at the aperture alone. So yeah, and and as far as you know, bringing down satellites, I think the only way it'll ever be remotely cost effective is if we can shoot something at them to knock them down. I mean, flying up another satellite to bring down a satellite is never going to be cost effective. It's not cost effective. Uh, also, keep in mind, we don't even have to shoot anything up um, to knock them out. Uh, we can laser them down as well. We don't even need like physical ammunition. We can. So, so the laser can have enough push just from the momentum of the light? Uh, it, the laser can have enough um, uh, enough power to essentially fry the, the electronics. Well, yeah. But if you wanted to bring it down, you have to actually move it. If you want to bring it down, like to the ground, you would yeah. you would definitely need something because even if you were to to affect its orbit, it would just burn up and you'd just be blowing it up, 
regardless. Yeah, well, I think you know, obviously you get rid of the space junk. And I think the only way to do it would be to somehow push them with some kind of ground-based projectile. Well, uh, the, it was saying, the article was saying that they pushed the cat, the one that they did, they pushed it into an orbit that was mostly sure. occupied by uh, okay. end of life uh, devices. Right, yeah. the graveyard orbit. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how it works. Um, when it, because the geostationary orbit is so far away from Earth, it's not cost effective to bring them all the way back down. When they're when a geostationary uh, satellite reaches its end of life, so yeah. what they do is they just push it up into a higher orbit, where it just stays there and becomes junk for presumably until the sun swallows the earth. So, so, so why can't we knock down satellites by shooting some kind of bullets at them? Because then you'll just make more satellites. Well, you need to send like like uh, balls of play-doh or something that will stick and not not, not break it just the, the thing is when when two satellites collide with each other which is essentially what you're saying you don't end up with with two satellites now hurtling towards earth you just end up with uh 10,000 new satellites well uh, I'm, that's why you you send up something soft anyway i mean even it well you're talking about sending something soft going you know 10 times the speed of a bullet it's, it doesn't matter if you're sitting at Play-Doh, it's still going to act like a bullet. Well, well, you can target you, it. Massively. Yeah, you really, you really, if you want to bring down something gently, you, you yeah. really do need some finely controlled mechanism that can intercept the orbit, uh, latch on to the object, and then fire some sort of thrusters. You can't just, if you want to blow something up, that's absolutely oh. possible by just shooting at it. But if you actually want to bring it down safely, you don't want to create more space junk, yeah. that's, that's a tough Tough challenge. It is, yeah. Well, anyway, all right. Let's see if I can find my list. Here's my list. All right, and Irvin has got a gigantic wall. And I, I don't know about gigantic wall, but it looks like Apple and Google Maps are both blocking the view to Tim Cook's house. You know exactly where it is. It's just blurred. Uh, looks right. like this is stemming from a restraining order on his ex-wife. And uh, oh, you, there's also a website where you can hide your house too if you'd like. Uh, a restraining a stalker who claimed to be his wife. Yep. I see. Well, you know, I've heard um, there've been a lot of these where they censor things out of the map. I remember the funniest one was Microsoft censored out the Apple headquarters, just made it a vacant lot, and that's because Microsoft had a standing provision for decades that. Look, in all Microsoft documentation, no other company exists. You will never put a brand name or refer to anything anybody else makes. We are the whole world. And so the people making the map took this literally. Can't have Apple. That makes sense for them. Yeah, I kind of understand how it works. Right. But yeah, you can you can hide your house if you'd like. I know. In, I've noticed they're blurring faces and everything now because enough people have sued yeah. yeah, they've been doing that in license plates for a while. I mean, and what's amazing to me is I see those cars, those Google cars, every time I go out, they seem to drive the blocks around here like every day. I don't know why, but it seems like once a month would be enough, but they didn't ask my opinion. Mm, they should have. Everyone should. I don't know why people can't figure this out. Anyway, Alan has got uh, more about the glorious new Omicron variant. Omicron variant BA2, something everyone should get acquainted with because 
It is the latest and greatest in COVID viruses. It's the new champ of transmissibility. Well, if it was serious, it would get its own Greek letter and a t-shirt and stuff, right? Yeah, and there has been some grumbling as to whether or not it should be getting its own new variant because it is significantly different from Omicron BA1 lineage. It differs in about 40 mutations, which is significant. Um, after all, Omicron varied from the other dominant strains by about 50 mutations. And so you could say that BA2 is about as different from BA1 as alpha was different from the wild type original strain. But be that as it may, it's still considered a sublineage of, um, or rather a, a variant of um, Omicron, but it, it has some significant differences in its transmissibility. It doesn't appear to necessarily be more severe in health outcomes for people who are infected. It may or may not be um, uh, escape um, the immune systems of people who have previously been infected with BA1. Hmm. But what is very clear is that it is more transmissible than any previous variant of Omicron. And a bunch of uh, Danish households, about 8,000 of them, have helped demonstrate this. Um, researchers looked at the secondary attack rate, that is, how many people in a household got sick from a first household member getting sick. And with Delta, after 14 days, it was only 25%. So only 25% of household members got sick. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Omicron BA1, it was up to 35%. Now with BA2, it's up to 42%. So that's a significant difference. And it does appear, appear that this is intrinsically more infectious. It's not just that it's better at evading vaccines or anything like that. There's something about BA2, this, this variant itself, that makes it more transmissible under any circumstances. So that's where we stand with its transmissibility. And it's taking over the world. It's become dominant in Denmark and it's on its way to be, being dominant in the UK. It's not dominant uh, in the US and actually it's, it hasn't really shown up in the US. The US seems to be an outlier in that um, BA1.1, which is a subvariant of BA1, uh, is really on the rise. But BA2 has been detected in the U.S. and it's probably going to follow the same course here as it has pretty much every other place where it's become prominent, uh, the Philippines and India too. And so we can expect another wave of BA2 infections at some point in all likelihood. Unless BI1 provides protection, in which case I think we wouldn't have one. Yeah, it's possible that if there is sufficient cross- immunity between BA1 and BA2, then it, then it will be less of an issue simply because there won't be enough uh, vulnerable people in the US. Yeah. However, because it is more transmissible, it will have greater reach. So it will be able to reach people who have not been infected with BA1. And it does appear to be just as vaccine, um, uh, uh, has as much vaccine escape as BA1. So you still have a large population of people 
who have already been vaccinated uh, but have not been infected with BA1. Well, so in, in I prefer to think it will finish infecting all the Republicans and basically service their vaccination. Yes, uh, one could say that, although it's not much of a vaccination, unfortunately. Well, uh, well, that's a shame. I, I mean, there is a natural immunity and it ought to be worth something. The problem with natural immunity is that it does not confer very strong immunity. It's clearly inferior to vaccination. Hmm. And um, the uh, odds of dying are still very high after oh, yes. so-called natural infection. Uh, it's, again, it's far worse than being vaccinated with the vaccine. Well, yeah. So it's really not conferring much protection. It's, it's conferring some protection against uh, reinfection, but that protection doesn't last long. Hmm. And then um, it doesn't confer much protection against eventual death should you get reinfected and uh, get reinfected with a, a greater infectious dose, for example. Hmm. It's not like measles or chicken pox where you get it once and then you're pretty much good to go for the rest of your life. With Omicron, you can, or excuse me, with COVID, you can keep getting reinfected. And anecdotally, there are cases of people who've gotten it three times. And then on the third time, they're in the hospital and they die. So clearly what we need is more gain-of-function research to generate a virus that will confer proper immunity. Well, uh, that sounds a bit risky to me. And I'm sure the conspiracy theorists would just love that. Want to hear my conspiracy theory? Oh, of course. I think Alan's trying to get us banned from every podcasting platform available. I was just thinking, (laughs) you know, if this was Spotify, there'd be warning on all our podcasts. Um, Anyway, but I thought that's kind of hilarious. I mean, Joe Rogan is, is... pushing anti-vax garbage and they say well we'll just mark every podcast that mentions uh covid at all with a warning i said because we wouldn't want to like judge the truth from a lie that's not our business or something anyway so i got more covid at san francisco they surprised me they're now giving a second booster to jj takers which is not authorized by the federal guideline so this is, uh, somebody asked me like uh, why we don't have socialized medicine or socialism here. And I said, cause nobody obeys the government. The government gives you an order. We all say, well, you're going to tell me to do something, go to hell. I'm going to do something else. And we're in that camp too, both the left and the right. I tend, I don't know if this exact move is wise, but I remember, I think it's generally true that the U S government is far too reluctant to authorize these boosters. And the J&J virus, uh, vaccine is not very good. You really should get more boosters. So it's probably a good idea. But it is surprising to me that the city chose to get ahead of the feds. We've not had that before. Anyway, uh, then we've got uh, Liz with top secret clearance. Yeah, well, apparently, uh, you know, I'd heard that when you go through, I've talked to a lot of people that have gone through the clearance process and and if I had was under the impression that they check your credit to make sure you don't have uh, outstanding debts and so that you're not easy to uh, bribe or blackmail and um, all kinds of stuff. But apparently there's um, it's not a perfect process. So uh, this uh, DOD staffer with a who had a top secret clearance uh 
impressively stole uh, the identities of, uh, according to this article in the register, dozens of people from the uh, SharePoint server at work in order to um, use those people's identities to secure uh, fraudulent loans. Um, and, I, and I mean, it was a lot of loans. This wasn't like a payday loan here and there. It's like a quarter million dollars worth of loans. And uh, it said just to cover his own debts, personal expenses and bills. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty impressive um, that he managed to do this and it took place over a two year period. So yeah. not exactly, uh, not exactly uh, paying attention to keeping the systems tight with everyone's info on them. Yeah, yeah, it's really encouraging. It makes you feel like our top secret information is securely locked down. It's crazy to me too that, you know, they have this rigorous clearance, security clearance uh, methodology and, uh, Seems like a lot of folks slip through, and those are just the ones we hear about. Well, yeah, but I mean, also, I think if people hold it for a while, then life happens, right? They might have been okay when they got cleared, but a few years later, they got a, a drug addiction or a medical problem, and somehow they need money. That's a great point. You just, people's circumstances do change, and you just never know. And I think, too, the other thing is that it's probably... Now, and this is just conjecture on my part, but uh, I, you know, as as our culture has shifted towards greater debt amassment um, as just being a part of everyday life, I think that it's probably if you if you say I'm not going to hire anybody that doesn't have any debt, well, the government's already having a hard enough time uh, hiring people, especially for jobs with top secret clearance. So I don't think that it's necessarily practical to exclude folks with who carry significant debt loads because that's most Americans at this point. Yeah, I think it is. All right, and Caitlin's got a new plane. And she's got the finger like Archer. There we go. Okay, sorry, it just takes me a second to switch mm -hmm. uh, to switch modes here. Okay, so there's a new space plane, according to freethink.com. Now, I've never heard of Freethink before, but this article seems very interesting. So, uh, Kristen Hauser wrote this article talking about this company called um, uh, what's it called? It's like Radian. Um, Right, yeah, Radian. So Radian is apparently a aerospace manufacturer or aerospace designer. And they are making the, as, as the article calls it, the quote unquote, holy grail of space flight. So the holy grail would be a single uh, stage to orbit space plane that can go to orbit, land, refuel, go again. Um, and that, and apparently Radian is actually starting to work on this at the moment. Now I did see one caveat. They said that in order to make this work, they're going to try to have a sort of sled on the runway so that instead of having the airplane power up and go from zero to orbital speed, it's going to have a boost on the ground that will give it some extra momentum and so it doesn't have to lift off immediately, um, which is very similar to the idea of what I've seen of 
essentially these grounded space launchers where instead of uh, an airplane or a spacecraft taking off, they essentially go into this long tube up a mountain that's like vacuum sealed. And then the airplane or the space plane, I should say, is this accelerated you know, mechanically uh, on a rail up and then it's able to just putter its way you know, the rest of the way into an orbit. Um, now, apparently this is gonna just happen on a runway though. And it's going to take off, uh, go into orbit. I, I assume very low Earth orbit. <laughs> this, this design seems very difficult to, to actually get working. Uh, but if it does work, this would be a huge change in, in our ability to get stuff into a low Earth orbit. Um, currently, everything that goes into orbit, low Earth orbit, uh, higher Earth orbit, geosynchronous orbit, out into space, out into uh, interstellar space, requires you know, massive rockets that essentially have to get, once either they're going to get destroyed, you know, on the way up or the way down, or if they don't get destroyed, uh, they basically have to be sort of rebuilt once they're on the ground. So like even the SpaceX stuff, uh, once it lands, I mean, it still has to sort of go through this huge process to get ready for another liftoff. Uh, and that's a huge improvement to what happened before where you know, we would just say, okay, our rocket went into space. Now it's going to burn up in the atmosphere. Bye-bye. Uh, so, you know, having an, a, a plane that can gently go up, gently come back down, glide in for a landing um, and be ready to go, go back up within a month, uh, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, and I really hope they, they are successful in this. Uh, many people have tried before. Very few have succeeded. And if they get single stage to orbit, you know, Literally, the sky's the limit. Yeah. The other thing you could do with a single stage to orbit is you could send up um, uh, parts at a time. So like, let's say you, you do want to send something to geostationary orbit or further out using this technology. You could just send up two or three flights. So the first flight, you send up uh, the vehicle or half the vehicle. The second flight, you send up the other half and they connect together. And then the third flight, you could send up the fuel. Uh, for said vehicle. Um, and, and then, and, and this is very similar to like the Orion project that NASA was working on a long time ago and just gave up on. But yeah, I mean, like I said, if you could cheaply get up into space, you can pretty much do anything at that point. Yeah. All right. And Urban is tracking you with your garbage card. Yes, there is a new way to track you because cookies and schlock and whatever else Google came up with is not enough. So now it's possible to track who you are by your graphics card, by the, the shaders and other stuff that can be added on a site to run in the background to see who you are and be able to track you as you go. Well, but it seemed to me like you really didn't do that much tracking. You can't you get some indicators and it only works for about a half hour and stuff. That's, that's enough. People don't want to stay in a site for more than half an hour. Yeah, but I mean, ad tracking, I want to have a record of everything you did over months. The graphics card doesn't change. No, but apparently they said it only extends the amount of time you can track people by like 30 minutes, what I saw. That's enough time to throw ads at people. Well, I guess it is. All right. It's just another way to get around all the restrictions. Yeah, actually, I guess like you could you could correlate your activities over half an hour and then tie it to something like cookie. Yep, 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 yep. 
And there's nothing you can do about this, right? Nothing yet. Well, I, I think they said they were going to update the cards to like remove these uh, tracking API calls or something. Yeah, but that's not happening right now. No, and it won't happen until you buy a new card, I would think. Or update your driver whenever that is. Yeah. All right. Alan, Alan has figured out where Omicron came from. Oh, yes. It's now well known. Actually, Nature Magazine has a nice survey, or I should say a nice article surveying the different possibilities of how uh, Omicron arose. And um, there's no original research here. It's just a, a nice summary of the different theories. There are three of them. The first being that Omicron did in fact emerge gradually over time, but uh, in a place where there was poor genomic surveillance. And so it just wasn't picked up. It wasn't noticed until it had already finished its, um, its evolution, so to speak. The second possibility being that um, it originated in one person and that single person is immune compromised and so their immune system cannot fully fight off the infection. It can only partially fight off the infection. And the virus has been able to replicate who knows how many times inside the body of that one person. And that uh, um, it's just by happenstance picked up a number of beneficial for itself, beneficial mutations that have allowed it to continue uh, an active infection of that person. And before finally uh, being spread to other people and then around the whole world, which would be really quite an amazing thing that one person, ultimately one person could be responsible for a single variant that has infected who knows how many millions and killed who knows how many hundreds of millions, hundreds of thousands of people eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third possibility is that it's a zoonotic spillover that people accidentally infected animals and then those animals uh, spread it amongst themselves. And then eventually the virus mutated within those animals, animals of course having different immune systems. Um, the virus just picked up a number of uh, random or maybe even advantageous mutations within those animals. And then at some point, a human came into contact with an infected animal carrying Omicron and it spilled back over from animal to human and then spread on from humans there. Nobody knows, of course, which is the most likely explanation. It does seem that it's unlikely that this was uh, undetected for a long time, because even though there is poor surveillance, um, with this rapid spread, you'd think it would have been picked up eventually somewhere. Um, as for a single human uh, source, that, that is entirely possible, and maybe even a plurality of virologists believe that it was a single human. But nevertheless, it's pretty incredible that uh, one person could be responsible for all of this. I mean, unintentionally, of course, and not only responsible for the BA1 variant, but possibly the BA2 variant also, because it does seem that they came from the same branch and that the same, this branch uh, was uh, broke off in like uh, the summertime of 2020. And um, it's not impossible to believe that one person has harbored this infection since the summer of 2020. And it's like a little virus factory. Yeah, the story I read originally, the first guess was it was somebody with HIV. 
Right, and that's certainly a possibility. If the virus, uh, this variant did in fact originate in Botswana, which is where Omicron was first detected, um, Botswana has a very, very high prevalence of HIV. At least 20% of the population is HIV po uh, positive. It is an epidemic there. Um, so it's not unreasonable to guess that um, there is an individual in Botswana who is HIV positive that's also infected with... Uh, Are we blaming a person for Omicron? When yes. Well, you can't blame a person because it's not intentional, but a single source, a single yeah. individual. Yeah. Yeah. An Im immunocompromised person harboring the virus, which then mutates inside their body. That's what they're saying. But it's not just HIV. You know, alpha originated in the UK, Delta originated in, in India. Both of those countries have a lower uh, prevalence of HIV. Although, of course, like every country, plenty of immunocompromised people. So it's not necessarily HIV, it's just some kind of chronic long-term infection that suppresses a person's immune response. And you're gonna find people like that of all ages all over the world. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, I thought this one was very interesting. A German court has ruled that you violate the privacy regulation, GDPR, if you put on your website, loading fonts from a Google server. And if you think about modern websites, you load JavaScript from all over the place from libraries because they have declared that your IP address is protected private information. So you're not allowed to build a website that reveals your IP address to a company. So how are you supposed to not do that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so they say now the only legal way to use a font would be to load it on your local server. If you can't go get anything from Google or you've broken privacy, which is, you know, this reminds me of when people just want to outlaw search engines saying those search engines are touching like newspaper sites. How dare they? We're not going to allow that anymore. I saw this article and I thought it was really interesting. It made me wonder too how they're supposed to implement stuff like geofencing. How you can really get anything done. I mean, Everything has to be done through Tor, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I, this is, just seems like a classic case of a clueless uh, legal system passing a rule that makes no technical sense that can't actually be implemented. Reminds me of when the, uh, the Prime Minister of Australia said, we're going to put up a firewall that will remove all the porn and all the pirated content from the internet. And we'll have that working by next year. And everybody said, no, you won't. We can't build anything that will do that. And of course he didn't because you can't. There's nothing you can buy that would do that. But Does that really easy. just specifically point out Google or just any font? This particular lawsuit was about Google, but if it is applied to GDPR, I think it would apply to all American sites and all foreign sites. It, it seems like, you know, it, this is one of those legal principles that is incompatible with the web. So I had to update my site so that it's all, all the fonts are there. Well, uh, I don't, I don't know. That might be true. Yeah. Anyway, and this Elizabeth has got people selling your prayers. Yeah. So uh, there are these companies 
now apparently that are making and selling these uh, prayer apps. And uh, send an email to God. Yeah, exactly. Are you there, God? It's me, uh, user number 782. Um, so uh, they, these companies, and some of them are backed by like, you know, Peter Thiel and, and uh, company, uh, you know, who also backs Palantir and stuff like that. Um, these prayer apps are a goldmine of uh, consumer data that is harvested and used for targeted marketing and God knows what else. I'm thinking PII and PHI. Oh my God. What could go wrong? <laughs> you know, it reminds me of those online therapy apps that got busted for mm -hmm. selling the therapy sessions for marketing and stuff. Oh, like, totally. And this is really kind of the same thing. You're encouraging people to journal and get their feelings out and then exploiting that heavily for commercial gain. It's but, but in this case, with a wrapper of care and religion and Jesus. <laughs> it is so dystopian. It, it could, there could, there, it's not like you could, this could hurt you. It's, it's Jesus endorsed. Yep, yep. All right, and Caitlin has got the smart guns, which I put in the title, smart guns are awesome. Smart guns are, yeah, well, you would be, that's a very controversial opinion, Sam. Oh, yes, most of my opinions are controversial. Yes. Um, so uh, NBC has an article uh, by, okay, I should say, they have an article written by Reuters, Reuters, sorry. They have an article written by Reuters uh, talking about smart guns. So smart guns have been on the horizon for a while, uh, but there's some controversy behind them and getting them to market has been a, a big issue. Um, first of all, there's the technical aspect, right? Like you have to make sure that the gun will only fire if it's in the correct hands. And that's the idea behind a smart gun, right? So if you have a gun and your child or a bad guy gets a hold of it, you don't want to have them be able to fire it. At the same time, you want, if you're in an emergency where you have to draw your gun, every millisecond at that point matters. So you can't have the mechanism locking up or locking out of your own gun. And this is a problem. So if you can imagine, for example, a fingerprint reader, uh, if your fingers are wet, or if you just, for example, have greasy fingers, um, I'm sure there's dozens of us with old iPhones we can unlock if we were out exercising for a while. Uh, you know, you can't have your, your phone, or, sorry, you can't have your gun not unlocking because you've been running around chasing a criminal. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, so this technology has been stalled, uh, but it looks like it's finally getting to market. A few companies for, such as Lodestar are, are getting ready to put out some guns for about $900, which will have this mechanism. And apparently the way it works is that it, it'll use, um, and I think this is the best idea and a sort of NFT device that you would wear like as like a ring. So if you have this ring on. NFC, right? Not NFC. NFC. Oh, yes. Yeah, NFC. Yeah. Sorry. I never feel like, not NFT. Sorry. It should be <laughs> NFTs. Our guns need NFTs. That's what you need. So guns on the blockchain. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We need to put the gun. No. So this kind will not be on the blockchain. So it's going to have a near field communication thing. So one of the things is that. The other thing, it will have a, a fingerprint reader, but as I said, that does have a tendency not to work well all the time. 
Uh, so the other solution is to have a pin pad so that if it does lock up. Now, the thing about that, of course, is that if you're in a life and death situation, the last thing you want to do is put in your pin yeah. on your gun before firing it. Uh, but I think just the NFC, uh, the NFC device is yeah. definitely the way to go, especially if you're law enforcement. Uh, you can just have the law enforcement people wear a ring Mm-hmm. Uh, of or you know ma- or a bracelet or something that and then uh, you can clone it onto a towel like your RSA badge. Yes, yes, you can, you can. I and, mean, and how hard would it be to make a radio interference device that would make all the cops' guns not fire now? That's a good question. So the thing about NFC is that it's as as they applied very near field, uh, and the, of course the closer you get to a gun, or sorry, the closer you get to a um. Uh, a coil or uh, electromagnetic field, uh, the strength increases proportion very uh, rapidly. You know the inverse square law. Yeah. And so, in order to overwhelm that system, you would need a very powerful electromagnetic device that could, you know, interfere with that communication. At that point, you're just making EMPs, which of course is another, which is something you could totally do to any sort of electronics you put on a gun, including scopes and sights and you know any sort of uh, gadgets you, you put on your your um your gun so uh but i think that that's probably the way to go if they're going to add something like that um but it looks like they're on the horizon and like i said so the first challenge of course technical the second challenge is political because there are a lot of second amendment people who are very upset at the idea of having these locking mechanisms on their guns and what it implies for policymakers who now realize that guns can be uh, locked to a single individual. I imagine that, uh, police unions might be fighting this as well. Yeah, uh, police unions might be fighting. Although I think police would, would probably be the best case scenario for this kind of technology, because like I said, they could be wearing, mm-hmm. they wear a uniform anyway. Uh, Safety is very important. If you're a police officer, you don't want the suspect getting your gun. Yeah. That's really wrong. I mean, and that, I, so I think actually police would probably be the prime people to go for this technology. Um, uh, as well as first-time gun owners. <coughs> now, I think the real obstacle has always been New Jersey. I was real glad to see that's been resolved because New Jersey passed a law in 2002 that as soon as any smart guns are available in America, all guns sold in New Jersey must be smart guns. And that single law has held it back for a decade or more. Right. And But now they changed it in 2019, which I didn't know. So now you could actually have a smart gun without it immediately depriving a whole lot of people of the other kind of gun. Right. Um and, and keep in mind, these systems can be hacked. I mean, if, if you if you want to disable your smart gun feature, you can um, you can you, you can. I'm pretty sure there's a, some ways to do that. So. Well, yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember this was true of our American ICBM system. We trumpeted how proud we were that we had a security preventing accidental launch of our ICBMs, and those rotten Soviets didn't have that. And it came out in a memoir a couple of years ago that the security was an eight digit pin, which was zero, 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 zero. And everybody knew it for exactly this reason, because the general said, wait a minute, if I press launch on the nukes, they're not going to go. What is this bullshit? Right. Exactly. They they made it into just a fake meaningless thing. So they could say they had security, but there was no security. I remember they said there's two people carrying briefcases and each of them have half the code and you can never launch it unless those two people get together and, you know, have a sacred ritual of exchanging the code. 
none of that was ever true. That was just American propaganda. It, yeah, it was never true. Uh, in in a life and death situation where other people are firing, firing rockets of you, you don't you don't want your operator to fat finger in a wrong digit. So they made it as simple as possible. Yeah, it's all zeros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, to be fair, having a little extra, are it's, it's it's instead of keeping people out, it was more of a, are you absolutely sure mechanism? You know, you you do have to type in eight zeros just to be like, yes, yes, I'm sure I want to launch this mission, which is better than nothing, to be fair. And it gives you the propaganda advantage of being much more secure than those mean Russians. Right, right. It doesn't give you any any real. Well, it doesn't give you any real security, but it does give you some more peace of mind that someone's not going to accidentally you know, push the red button and then missiles are going to get launched and you have to deal with that. So only authorized people will know this top secret code. Right. All right. And so urban's got WordPress. Once again, another RCE for a plugin as usual. So if you keep your WordPress vanilla, you'll be fine. Uh, but if you have the essential add-on for Elementor, which uh, 600,000 sites apparently have and have been updated, you're vulnerable. Yeah, uh, and they they've tried to patch it and failed apparently. Yeah, they tried it twice and it did not work. This so is the nice. of PHP, you know. Yep. This you is know, why we should just write in COBOL, right? You know, a, a client hired me to write a deliberately vulnerable app, so I wrote it in PHP, and they said, "No, you can't use PHP. <laughs> That's too horrible." Anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Alan has got uh, fingerprinting PDFs. Yes, the uh, Vice has an article based on a series of tweets by Johnny Saunders, a PhD candidate at University of Oregon in, I think, neurology, who uh, downloaded a bunch of studies, articles from Elsevier, which is one of the major scientific paper publishers of the world, a much hated publisher of oh yeah everybody journals. hates them because mm -hmm. they mean your journal costs thousands of dollars and nobody can get them uh, exactly so you have to as a, as the scientist if you want to publish your your study you have to pay thousands of dollars to Elsevier or they're not the only publisher scientific study publisher journal publisher uh, and then they publish it for you and then nobody else can read it because the subscription costs are just obscenely high. Right. However, you can download PDFs and then share those. And as Johnny Saunders has discovered, they are fingerprinting. Elsevier is fingerprinting every single one of those downloads and they're fingerprinting it so that they're unique. Each download is unique and is traceable back, presumably traceable back to the account. This is like DRM on MP3s then, right? It's, that is, it is. It's just DRM on PDFs, scientific yeah. PDFs. Um, and so there's, from a technical standpoint, there's nothing innovative at all. The technology to do this has been around forever. But um, as far as I know, this is the first time anybody's bothered to look. And sure enough, this has been embedded. These, these um, fingerprints are embedded in the PDFs. However, Johnny Saunders has very helpfully um, shown us how to remove the fingerprints. So if you have access to any Elsevier <coughs> journals and you want to make that knowledge publicly available, by all means do so. However, follow his thread on how to use just a couple of tools. And then these are very simple to use tools like uh, EXIF tool and QPDF to remove 
those fingerprints first. So there you are endorsing crime. Yes. And, and, and you know, this didn't work out so well for Aaron Schwartz. No, this is yeah, entirely but anyway. true. But anyway, everybody hates El Chevier. Yeah, I mean, what they do is really sleazy. Yeah. And you consider the fact that so much of this research is funded by public money to begin with. Who, who are the real thieves here? Yeah, you see, she's spoken like a true anarchist, yeah. That's like you say, people ask me why can't you have socialism in America? I says, because nobody will cooperate with the government or the law or anything in America. Everybody's pretty much a rebel. And me too, you know, anyway. Um, so and I thought this is great. You know, there's this uh, famous movie, Don't Look Up, where an asteroid's coming and they can't stop it. And the scientists say, as a matter of fact, we could totally stop it. All you have to do is blow it up with a nuke. And that'll knock it off course, and that would be easy. So they say, you know, now if you had a one, I think asteroid in that movie is ten miles across, I think. And they said, oh, that's nothing. We could blow that away with existing technology, which is news to me. And I remember there's a lot of movies like this: Bruce Willis flying out to save us from the asteroid, you know. But anyway, well, the the big problem with that is that if you have a giant comet heading towards Earth, uh, and you blow it up. Um, and you have now a thousand pieces of comet, they're still going to rain down on Earth with the same amount of force. Well, this guy <laughs> said you, you just hit it on the side and knock it off. Quick. Right, exactly. So what you do is you have to intercept it early so that you hit it with enough force that it, and especially when it's far off, because if you think yeah. about it, you only have to change its trajectory by a very small angle if it's millions of miles away for it to miss Earth. Um uh, so that's what you want to, you, you don't know, blowing it up isn't really the point. The point oh. is to uh, knock it off course with a big enough uh, thud uh, that can be done. Um, and also there are agencies already in the United States uh, focused on this. In fact, the DART mission recently was all about testing new technology for moving asteroids. And see, this is what I want to do to satellites. I want to hit them with a spitball, knock them off course, and you keep raining on my parade. Well, the thing is you're, you're this is this. So when you, you are creating debris, with an asteroid now, but the asteroid is already debris and it's in orbit around the sun. So who cares? <laughs> well, all right. And I, you're, I, you're also not deorbiting a, a, an asteroid into the sun. Okay. That's just never going to happen with, a, with our current technology, right? All we can do is sort of hit it and then it's going to blow up a little bit and like knock it off and the energy is going to push it into a slightly different trajectory. Um, but that, that, yeah, that's a different scenario. Okay. Well, all right. You keep raining on my parade. All right. So, uh, well, that's it for this one and we'll be back on Friday.